O God, give the members of this your, your parish your Holy Spirit, as you once gave it to Elizabeth of old, that like her they may rejoice in the faith of the Virgin, who believed that what the Lord had said to her would be accomplished. Teach us ever to magnify you and rejoice in you, for you have done great things and your mercy extends to those who fear you, as you lift up the humble and fill the hungry with good things. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, any follow-up questions from last week? I, unfortunately, wasn't here. We were at a baptism in Delaware. I'm glad it was last weekend and not this weekend. Uh, they said, we haven't had snow here in a long time. And, well, they got it. Uh, we flew, in fact, we flew out of Baltimore. And, you know, the Bears had to leave late to get to, to, the, game, or to the game today. And they postponed the game a bit. So, but any questions from last time around? All right. Uh, just so you don't think kids don't uh, kids don't get it. Emma, my daughter's down there with the Christmas program, and they're, you know, they're all fighting over who's going to be married this year. That's a, that's a classic fight in Lutheranism. I didn't know if you if you knew that. Um, they had their Christmas party on Friday, and she decided this is over the preschool. Everybody's eating and playing in the sandbox, and she decided to go and get a baby doll and put it in her shirt, and then lie down on the ground and say that she was Mary in labor. Now that's a little creepy. I can't quite figure it out. Um, but I did say to her, we were out for a walk the other day, and I said to Emma, I said, so what are, you, what are you learning about in school? Oh, the Christmas story. I said, what's the Christmas story? This is fascinating. She said, well, the angel came and said something to Mary. What did she say? Uh, what did he say? The angel said, I'm going to give you a baby. I said, what did Mary say? She said, thank you very much. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, that's a bit like amen or uh, yes, let it be unto me according to your word. So... Uh, you can learn a lot from a child. Look at your outline, and we will talk about Mary a bit today because that's the text, and uh, I want to sort of pick up where Pastor Bruzek left off. Uh, but before we get into all that, and I said it in the sermon, and I'll say it here too, you know, I can sense in all of you sort of a range of things, and, and the longer you're with somebody, sort of, the better you are at reading their expressions and their facial expressions and their attitudes and things like that. But it was stunning to me on Wednesday night at the, uh, the school Christmas service. And there are lots of people there. I mean, probably 290, 300 people. Members, non-members, looking out at them, they all just looked exhausted. They all just looked exhausted. And if you were there, maybe you didn't see this, but from, you know, from where we sit, you can see everything. There, it was like, I'm glad I'm here, but I really would like to be at home in bed. You know? And probably that's from months and months of stress and frustration and conflict, that just sort of wears people out. And some people are still angry and frustrated, and some people are saddened, and some people feel they've lost something. And, um, and I think for some people, there's lots of fear going forward. And I say here at the beginning of the outline, and a plethora of other emotions. And, and when I said in the sermon today, I can see it on your faces, it's true. Um, it's very strange, somebody mentioned this at Friday morning women's Bible study, that just when sort of the press of life gets to be so great, uh, the days get shorter. <laughs> Isn't that strange? The press gets much harder. You gotta go out shopping, you know? You got family coming to time. You've gotta make a meal. You've gotta be at church five or six times in a week. Just when that happens, the days are getting shorter and shorter. Um, so it's an odd thing. So where are you gonna turn for your help? What are you gonna do to get, get through the day? Uh, look to Christ and to his gifts, and hopefully, say yes to, to all that he's about to give. So remembering the way forward, the first point on your outline, this is the end of Pastor Bruzek's outline, point 10 from last week. 
Reconciliation will happen as fast as we can say yes to Jesus. Okay? Now, don't, you know, don't, get, uh, don't get bothered by yes talk. Sometimes Lutherans get caught up in this, this strange notion that whenever the Christian does anything, ultimately that's a matter of good works, and so we don't do that. So you hear Lutherans say all the time, well, uh, the Lord saved me, and there's, uh, there's, there's nothing left for me to do. Or I can sort of do whatever I want. It doesn't matter because the Lord does all the work. That's true when you're a complete unbeliever. It's not true once the Lord's brought you into his family. Um, so once the Lord has brought you into his fold, into the kingdom, to be part of his own family, he catches you up in the work of reconciliation. And in some sense, he catches you up in the work of justification. He sends you out into the world to bear his presence, frankly, to dying people. So, so don't think you have any part in this. You have a, a very key role in bringing salvation to the ends of the earth, and frankly, a very key role in reconciliation here at St. John. So reconciliation will happen as fast as we can say yes to Jesus. But the strange thing is, and I actually preached about this last year on Christmas Eve, the days leading up to the first Christmas, and frankly, the years leading up to the first Christmas, were not unlike the days and years leading up to this Christmas. If you think about all the emotions we've experienced as of late, many of those same emotions were, uh, were, were emotions that were experienced by the people surrounding the very first Christmas. For instance, anger. <laughs> anger over being led out of Egypt. Remember the Israelites? We liked it better back under Pharaoh's, uh, under Pharaoh's dominion. The bread out here is terrible. Take us back. Frustration over not having things their way. The Israelite struggles can be summed up by the fact that they didn't get what they wanted. Anxiety. They've been waiting for 2,000 years for the coming Messiah. When's he going to show up? Loss. All throughout their struggles in the desert, the key is they've broken a relationship with Messiah, with Yahweh. And fear. Uh, you've got to imagine that living in first century Palestine and being a faithful Jew, waiting for the coming Messiah, you've got to be a bit afraid of what people might do to you before the Messiah comes. Will you actually make it out alive? Will you be there to see the baby in a manger? So these same emotions, these same struggles were experienced by people in the first century as we are experiencing them today. But it's not, uh, it's not insignificant that it was into that mess that the angel entered with a new word, a word which gave creation a chance to say yes to Jesus. Okay, and obviously that new word is in the Annunciation. So if you've got a Bible, flip open to Luke chapter 1. And you've all heard this story a million times. Um, strangely, it didn't pop up this year in the lectionary in Advent. You know, this is series C. So the fourth Sunday in Advent, you get today's lesson, which is uh, Mary goes off to visit Elizabeth. She sings the Magnificat. Last year, this Sunday, you got the Annunciation. So you got the visit of the angel to Mary announcing the birth of Christ. But this is, in some sense, the key story of the Christian life. Uh, Mary shows herself to be, and we'll look at this, really the first believer, the first disciple, the first Christian. Because she listens to what the angel has to say, she receives it as a gift, she embodies it to the ends of the earth, and she lives faithfully in relationship to her son, Jesus the Christ. So let's... Um, let me just read this for you once, and if you've got any reaction, you can give it to me, and if not, we'll keep going. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And you know then that's where we pick up the text for today. The angel leaves. What's your initial reaction? What's, what's, what's going through Mary's head as she encounters the angel and hears this message? What do you think? What if it was you? Yeah, how the heck is this happening? This is not normal. That's exactly right. How's this happening? This, not, this is not normal. What else do you hear? She had to be frightened, and you see that in the text. Don't fear, right? Why would she be frightened? Yeah, what was the punishment for a woman uh, engaging in these sorts of things outside of marriage? Stoned, right? They'd stone her. So probably in the back of her mind, not only is she thinking, boy, Joseph will be upset, she's also thinking, and I might lose my life, right? What else is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, why, why me? Why not somebody else? And there's a range of possibilities for what Mary might be doing as she uh, encounters the angel. And you see this in artwork. Sometimes she looks very pious. You know, she's on her knees praying, right? You sometimes see that where there's a picture of her, you know, on, at a little pray-do, at a little kneeler, saying her prayers, and all of a sudden the angel begins to speak into her ear. You've seen this, yes? Yeah. So, so sometimes it looks like she's very pious, like maybe she is the right candidate for this. Um, but there is some artwork that shows Mary sort of out working in the fields and muddy and dirty or walking through the flowers, you know, just off on a stroll. Um, and that might be more in line with the biblical Mary, um, someone who really doesn't deserve this, but who, as the scriptures say, has been greatly favored or, or graced mightily. What else? Yeah. Yeah, she says yes, um, doesn't try to get out of it. Can she get out of it if she wants? Yeah. Yeah, nothing happens by force, right? So the angel doesn't force Mary to bear a child. He says, isn't this going to be great? I've chosen you to bear the Messiah so that the world might be saved. And Mary says, that's a pretty darn good offer. 
And guess what? I'm not afraid anymore because you've told me not to be afraid. So can she get out of it? Yeah, she can get out of it. Uh, because nothing happens by force, and yet she receives it all as a gift. With her, let it be unto me. What else? Anything else? Yes. Yes. Yeah, there in, in some sense, Mary has, Mary's, uh, if she's at all faithful as a Jew, she has a sense of what's about to happen. Because remember in the Old Testament it said the virgin will conceive and bear a son. Right? So yes, uh, a faithful Jew would be waiting for this moment. All right, let's keep going. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And there you see on your outline, all this is trying to show, all Luke is trying to show you here is, the Lord doesn't work in abstractions. He deals with people individually, specifically, tangibly, concretely, all for you. Okay? So he's telling you all the players in the story. One, so you can keep track. Remember, he's a doctor. So he tends the details. And also, so you realize that when the Lord deals with people, he always deals in specificity. And he came to her and said, and this, this really is the key to this text, this one verse. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now the key to that, or to that, uh, that verse there is the very first word of the address, greetings. The Greek word is kairi, which you know, you should at least be hearing in that chorus, grace, Eucharist, Kyrie, greetings, or more specifically, rejoice. Now, the reason that this, this one little word is so important is it rarely, rarely appears in the scriptures. In fact, most often when people are addressed in the New Testament and someone sort of walks in and says, hello, it's nice to see you, they use the Greek word irene, or peace. Here the Greek word is Kyrie. And when this appears, and this is, I'm trying to show you a, a deeper connection here. When this appears in the Old Testament, and it's very rare, when it appears in the Old Testament, it is almost always related to the joy that comes when Israel is delivered from her enemies. Okay? It almost always comes when Israel is delivered from her enemies. So the Lord says to Israel, rejoice. And he uses the Greek word kairi. And here to Mary, he says, greetings, rejoice, and he uses the Greek word kairi. Now, I'll give you a few examples. Zechariah 9.9. We've been singing this now for four weeks. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That obviously is a reference to what? Yeah, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Christ. But notice what the Lord says to the daughter of Zion. Rejoice. Rejoice greatly. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Look at your next page. Zephaniah 3. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice, Kairi. And exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. So when he's talking about Jerusalem or Israel, is she a male or a female? Oh, I just gave it to you. She a male or a female? She's a female. She's a woman. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. 
The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. What the Lord is saying here in Zephaniah, speaking to the daughter of Zion, he says, rejoice. Here's how I'm going to save you. And it's there in bold. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. So the Lord will do two things. He'll be in the midst of his people, and he'll be in the midst of his people as their savior. Now what's striking is, the Hebrew word there for midst, you see it on their outline, is the exact same word used for womb. Is that fascinating? I will be in your midst, or as it says in the Hebrew, I will be in your womb as a mighty one to save. So already, you know, bells should be going off in your head. The daughter of Zion is a woman. He says to this woman, rejoice. Why should she rejoice? Because the Lord will be in her womb as a mighty one to save. And then you should be thinking about Mary. He says to Mary, rejoice. She's a woman. Why should she rejoice? The Lord's about to be in her womb. What's he going to do? Remember the name given to, to, the, to her son? You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Make sense? The daughter of Zion is Israel in the Old Testament. But you see from this, the daughter of Zion is also a picture of Mary. So Israel and Mary, in some sense, are one and the same. I said in the sermon today, John the Baptist, you know, the message of salvation has gone from the broad landscape of the wilderness to the narrow fabric of Mary's womb. Ever since the fall, the act of saving people has narrowed, and here it finds its end point, in the womb of Mary. From the broadness of the daughter of Zion to the narrowness of Mary's womb, she is the daughter of Zion. Verse 29. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And here you should be thinking, maybe she was pious. Had she heard these words before? Had she read the Old Testament texts before? Did her father sit her down and say, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This is what will happen when the Messiah will come. Could she already hear that when the angel addresses her, he's addressing her as the new and greater daughter of Zion? Can she hear that? It's something about, I mean, this, this, is, a little, this is a little support for bringing your kids up in the church. <laughs> if you teach them the texts, when they get older, they begin to see themselves in the texts. And the angel said to her, verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So here then is the biblical support that Mary wasn't immaculately conceived. Okay? How does the Lord, well, let me ask you this. If Mary is a sinner, can she bear the Son of God? Okay? 
How so? <laughs> yeah, well, that doesn't, that's not very comforting for me. The Lord, can do it. the Lord could also smote me right here if he wanted, and I'm praying he doesn't. He can do anything he wants. Somehow, though, uh, in order to give Jesus a fit dwelling place as the perfect son of God, he's got to take Mary's flesh and clean it up a bit. Now, some people say that Mary was uh, somehow born without sin. That's not exactly what the scriptures say, because Mary here says, I'm afraid. And fear, you know, is always self-regarding. So fear is always sin. Yes, she was. I hope so. Yes, so then we got a bigger problem on our hands. But when the angel comes and speaks into her ear and the Holy Spirit overshadows, they clean her up a bit, clean up her womb, take her flesh and say, we're going to put Jesus inside, and now the son you bear will have your flesh, Mary, but he will be perfect. So here, she was greatly troubled at the saying. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. In the scriptures when it says, do not be afraid, that's actually a word of absolution. May phobisco. You know, phobia, don't fear. And at that very moment, the angel cleanses her flesh and puts Jesus inside. Let's keep going. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? A biological question, not a question of faith. Zechariah asks a question of faith. I don't believe that can happen. My wife is 90 years old. Mary says, I've never been with a man. How will I have a son? She's not being unfaithful. She'd make for a good, you know, anatomy and physiology student. How can this happen? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, where have you seen the Holy Spirit hovering upon and overshadowing before? Creation. Yeah, what happens at creation? Someone tell me what that looks like from Genesis 1. What does the text say? Yeah, the spirit hovers over the face of the deep. So you have a picture of the spirit over water and what's about to happen. Order how? From words. So you have someone about to speak and the spirit hovering over water. Instantly you should have a picture of baptism, right? At the same time, you have this deep, ancient, strong connection between the spirit hovering and the word speaking things into existence. Where else do you have the power of the Most High overshadowing something? Remember from the Old Testament? The Israelites moved throughout the desert, pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Eventually it says the Most High came and overshadowed what? The tabernacle, which held what? The Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Word. The Word. The Holy Spirit overshadows the tabernacle, which bears the Ark, which bears the Word. Jesus is the Word. Mary bears the Word. The Holy Spirit comes and overshadows Mary, just like he did the Ark of the Covenant. All these images going on. This shows you that, that the choice of Mary was not, you know, sort of a quick decision on the fly. This is a decision that was made long ago at the foundation of the world. Look at your next page, page three. And behold, 
Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. In case you don't believe it, Mary, there's someone else in your family who's going to have a child. How did, how did the conception of John the baptizer take place between Mary or between Elizabeth and Zechariah? Do you remember? What happened? The angel came and made an announcement. And then it says, the Lord visited Elizabeth. The Lord visited Elizabeth, just like he visited Mary. Okay, so you have all these miraculous conceptions taking place, with the ultimate one being the conception of Jesus by a virgin. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, you just told me about creation and how the Holy Spirit hovered over the water as the Lord was about to speak. What exactly did the Lord speak at creation? Do you remember? How did he say it? When he wants light, how does he bring it about? Let there be. Now, you remember how many times does he speak things into existence in the creation account? How many times does he say, let there be? Not six, not seven, but eight times. Eight times in the account of the creation, the Lord says, let there be, and there is. And you remember from the scriptures, eight is, what significance does the number, does the number, the number eight have? It's the number of the resurrection. It's the number that has no end. What the Lord is doing at creation by saying, let there be, eight times, he is showing to you and to me and to the entire world that his act of speaking things into existence will have no end. Now, keep that in mind. Let there be. What are Mary's exact words as she receives the word of the angel? How does she receive it? Let it be unto me, which sounds strikingly similar to let there be. So at creation, the Lord says, let there be eight times. I will never stop creating with my creative word when I say, let there be. It's an imperative. Like when I say to our new dog, got a new dog, sit. That's an imperative. If you don't do it, well, I'm a softie. If you don't do it, we just let you do whatever you want. Just don't drool on the floor. No, that's an imperative. Sit. Just like at creation, let there be. It's an imperative. Make it happen. Mary says, let it be unto me. So you see there on your outline, the spirit at creation does his creative work once more. The God who spoke an eschatological, that means it has no end, an eschatological eight-sided let there be has spoken his son into the flesh. And Mary receives this creative, redemptive word with her own let it be unto me. What Mary is doing at the Annunciation is receiving the creative word of creation, let there be. And this time she's receiving it into her own flesh, let it be unto me. And in the Greek, it's in what's called the optative. So that doesn't mean that Mary was forced to do this. What it means is she joyfully and hopefully received the word of the angel. The optative is a mood of joy. 
Let it be unto me as you have said. So you have this going on now in the Annunciation. By the word of the fallen angel, Eve was seduced. Remember Satan? He's a fallen angel. By the word of the fallen angel, Eve was seduced. Yet by the word of the archangel Gabriel, Mary was impregnated and creation was redeemed. Or as Tertullian says, Eve believed the serpent, Mary believed Gabriel. That which the one destroyed by believing all of creation, the other by believing set straight. So what I want you to see here is that the yes of Mary doesn't just affect her. It doesn't just affect her immediate family. It just doesn't affect her church, her friends, her acquaintances, her neighbors. The yes of Mary has an effect upon all of creation. Just like the fall of Adam and Eve had an effect upon all of creation. And just like your sin and my sin, everything that's gone on over the past few years, that doesn't, that doesn't affect just you, it doesn't affect just me, it doesn't affect just this church, it doesn't affect just your friends, those who have stayed, those who have left. Our sin has affected all of creation. All of creation has been damaged by it. Because what happens when your friends leave and they go someplace else? They bear with them all the pain of this place. And when they come in contact with someone else, those people bear it. And suddenly, people across the ocean bear it. Suddenly, the entire world bears it. And yet, when you say yes to Jesus again, when you say yes to reconciliation, it just doesn't affect you. It doesn't just affect me. It's not just about St. John. Your yes to Jesus has an effect upon all of creation, just like the yes of Mary had an effect upon all of creation. Mary's yes to the angel forever changed the course of this world. And as you go out and you come back for Christmas, your yes to the Christ who's in the manger will forever change the course of this world. So in some sense, that's a little, that's a little daunting. It means that all the stuff we've been through is in some sense cosmic. It's not located just here. And yet, the opportunity is just as great. The opportunity is to receive the Jesus who comes again, to say yes to him, and to bear him faithfully to the world. The best words of Mary in the Annunciation are, let it be unto me according to your word. I am your servant. I am your slave. And what do slaves do to their master? Say that. They serve. What else do they do? They listen. They obey. Once again, and this is the upside-downness of Christmas. The baby in the manger comes as the master. And even amid his cries, we say, as the Magi do, as the angels do, down on our knees, we will do whatever you ask of us. Okay? That's the Christmas message. That's the Annunciation message. And frankly, that's the reconciliation message. Saying yes to Christ once again. I've given you two prayers here, or actually one prayer from Luther, one quote. I want you to see the, uh, how these two things line up so nicely. Okay, the first one is from Ratzinger, you know now as the Pope, von Balthasar, who was a Vatican II uh, uh, 
uh, well, a key player in Vatican II. This is their book on Mary. But just listen to this, and listen to how Lutheran this is. What is grace? This question thrusts itself upon our text, the text of the Annunciation. Our religious mentality regards grace as a supernatural something we care about in our, carry about in our soul. And since we perceive very little of it, or nothing at all, it has gradually become irrelevant to us, an empty word belonging to Christian jargon, which seems to have lost any relationship to the lived reality of everyday life. In reality, grace is a relational term. It does not predict something about an I, but something about a connection between I and thou, between God and man. Full of grace could therefore also be translated as you are full of the Holy Spirit. Your life is intimately connected with God. Grace in the proper and deepest sense of the word is God himself. Grace, and the same thing can be said of mercy, is wholly relational. Mercy can properly be called God himself. And then Luther, you know, this sort of shows you the effect of mercy on people. O blessed virgin, mother of God, you were nothing and all despised. Yet God in his grace regarded you and worked such great things in you. You were worthy of none of them, but the rich and abundant grace of God was upon you, far above any merit of yours. Hail to you. So the question going out, think about this on your way home. The Lord has said all of this to Mary. He said all of it to Israel. Consider what he said to you. Consider what he said to you. Because I can promise you he said all the same things. I love you. I save you. Take, eat, this is my body. I forgive you all your sins. Come now, let's live faithfully. Let's go off into the hill country. Let's bear my presence all the way to the ends of the earth. That's the message of the Annunciation. Okay? Any questions? Yes. Yes. Yep. Uh, Mr. Lee's comment was about Hail Mary, uh, which he said seems to be a bit of a phobia in Lutheran churches. I think you're right. I think, unfortunately, we've lost a lot because of our fear over who else might be doing it. Um, and you see that play itself out in a variety of ways. Uh, but Luther, in his, in his work on prayer, I think it's like volume 47 of his works, goes through all the sort of famous prayers of the church. And he says of the Hail Mary prayer that the first half is completely okay to say. And it's okay to say because scripture has already said it. And all prayer is, you know, hey, all prayer is, you know, is saying back to the Lord what he's already said to you. So what the Lord has said in scripture is, Hail Mary, rejoice, Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. That's all in the scriptures. So if you wanted to be, you know, sort of in the Christmas spirit, you might, you might pray that part um, as an opportunity to say back to the Lord what he's already said to you. So yeah, that first half is completely okay. Second half is where it's a little more difficult because you're, in some sense, invoking Mary to do something. Um, and at the same time, as the confessions say, the saints not only pray for us, 
Um, but at one point it says, but offering a prayer to them, they don't condemn that either. So that would be something you'd have to sort of work through a bit. Okay? Good question, though. What else? Anything else? Yes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, in, it, it, in practice, it's not because the saints who are in heaven are still alive. To say that they're not that they're not active in that is to, in some sense, assert that they're dead. They're not dead. They're alive. The d only difference is Scripture has said pray for one another. It hasn't said ask the saints to pray for you. So. Uh, can you be confident that, that they pray for you? Yes. Is there any place where scripture says you should pray back to them? Not particularly. Um, but as I said, the confessors sort of, the Lutheran confessors sort of work through that and say, yeah, but we shouldn't be afraid of that in the way some people are afraid of that. Um, but it takes a lot of, for a Lutheran, that's a big step. So uh, it takes some preparation and really some deep thought about whether or not that's best. Yes. Thanks, Martha, by the way, because this question, I'm sure, will follow up on that one. <laughs> yes. Yes. Question is, are we talking, about, when we refer to the saints, are we talking about dead saints and living saints? Yep. Right. 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 Yeah, that's a good question. If you're in heaven, shouldn't you have absolute peace? Um, in some sense, in heaven, you see things as Jesus sees things. Uh, I'll give you two parts. You see things as Jesus see things, which sees things, which means you see them through the eyes of Christ. You see him as completely forgiven. Um, but you don't stop doing what Jesus does. Jesus still prays for you and for all of your relationships and struggles and hardships. And the saints do the same thing. At the same time, as you read the book of Revelation, you do have an image of the saints in heaven under the altar crying out for the end of destruction on earth, which is a very odd thing. Now, I'm not saying that there's no peace in that, but there is some urgency that what happens on earth stops. Okay? So you do have both things, but you're seeing it all through the eyes of Christ. What they want is they want you home. They want me home. They want all of us together again. But whether or not there aren't tears, there isn't crying, because the scriptures say that's not the way it works. You see things through the eye of Jesus, and yet you're praying that all the bad stuff stop because they want everybody home again for Christmas. Okay? Yes, you're welcome. Yes? Yep. Yep, that's right. Yeah, Revelation, which is it's just a picture of heaven, is chock full of uh, examples where the saints are at prayer. Right? All right, anything else? Didn't think that's how it would end, but that's the way it goes sometimes. All right, 
Everybody okay? You all okay? All right. I know, I know the press is hard, but it's almost Christmas, and then uh, you can relax a little bit and have some fun. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.